Okay, welcome to episode one of Pan-African Attitude. Joined today by some very, very special guests. Um, I'll start with the least special of them all, William Sakao, <laughs> my co-host. No, I'm joking. Our comrade William Sakao. And to my left, I have community organiser, Sefu, one of the organisers from the Pan-African Socialist Alliance. She was one of the organisers of the Hands Off Haiti event. She has not only a powerful voice, but I'm going to say a beautiful voice, because of all, all these events, she's not only analysing and explaining to the audience the perils that affect Africans globally, but she also sings and gets everyone else to sing. <laughs> it's yeah, she, she gets me to sing. Yeah, I she don't gets sing me to much. sing. <laughs> and it's, some, it's something to witness. It's something to witness. Um, and to the left of Sefu, we have, I'd call him a mentor to everyone here at African Stream, Bova Sabukwe. He is an organiser for the All African People's Revolutionary Party. Um, he is someone that we look up to, someone that I call on a regular basis for advice on how to handle some of the contradictions that arise when trying to cover news and media from a Pan-African perspective with a Pan-African lens. He's someone that's even been coming into the office and doing workshops with the team here at African Stream. So, yeah, big welcome to both of the guests. Thank you. And we've thank got you. Thank you to all that you all do and the importance of uh, keeping African Stream uh, in the in our atmosphere, <laughs> it's you. it's very important. So we we appreciate that and covering us on on a regular basis when we're doing something. So we really appreciate you as, as a as a team of uh, journalists. You know, yes. And being able to speak about Pan Africanism and about socialism and issues that actually matter in our society that other journalists would not be able to cut and cover. Yes. Yes. I mean. There's one thing that no one can say about the two people on my left. We've got a lot of whataboutism going on on social media. You know, if we talk about Palestine, they say, what about the Congo? Yeah. What about Haiti? What about Sudan? I've been at events. I went to, with an event that you organized mm -hmm. in one of the largest slums mm -hmm. in, in, uh, about Sudan. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the room was packed. Mm -hmm. uh, we were just at an event for Haiti, which mm -hmm. is the topic of this first episode. Mm -hmm. So no one can accuse uh, the Africans on my left <laughs> of being selective when it comes to Palestine uh, because they really do stand up for all issues affecting African people. So today we're going to talk about Haiti. Uh, William. Yeah. William, William, William. Just briefly talk us through, you know, the high court decision. Uh, it's not something that many people outside of Kenya expected, but you told me maybe a month ago, that this might happen. Why was you optimistic that the Kenyan High Court would overturn the decision by the UN Security Council for a Kenyan-led uh, police force, a thousand Kenyan troops? What, what made you think that, that, that this might not happen? Um, my, my sentiment was based on history. I think in the past 15 years, Kenya's judiciary has proved itself to sort of be a bulwark against imperialist agendas in the country. Uh, I think uh, the previous Chief Justice, uh, Maraga, was the only Chief Justice in Africa to ever cancel the results of a presidential election and mandate people to go back to the ballot. You remember former Chief Justice Mutunga, who was, who was pretty active in the progressive space. We saw him during the, I think it was a 
Palestine event. Yes, the Palestine event. Yeah. yeah, and now, you know, we have CJ Mother Kome. We haven't seen much about her. But regarding the decision to halt the deployment to Haiti, I was confident because uh, there's been a back and forth in the courts, and the courts haven't given anything away that, you know, they were willing to allow this uh, deployment to go through. And even aside from that, with the judiciary having its job as interpreting the constitution, this deployment was clearly unconstitutional, where the government, we saw that's the National Security Council, does not have a mandate to deploy Kenyan police outside Kenya's borders. And now we see, you know, the ruling could have been made on a technicality, and one of the points I see being mentioned is that uh, Justice Muita mentioned that what was to be sent was a police force. So it isn't so long as it's a force, the National Security Council did not have the mandate to uh, deploy Kenyan police to Haiti. So does, what does that mean? That military, if it was military personnel, then they could have been deployed? Why, why did they specify the point about it being a police force? I think the dynamics go all the way to the United States, which is footing the $200 million bill to Haiti. There has to be a reason that they specifically wanted Kenyan police to be in Haiti. Uh, I'm no legal expert, by, but my imagination is that if soldiers get deployed, that will be a whole different ballgame as compared to sending police officers, which in my view or understanding is that that would have been a far simpler ask for the president to just, yeah, these are my police, I don't need the, you know, too much paperwork to have them go to Haiti. Okay, okay. Professor Bukwe, I want to come to you. Mm -hmm. So... Um, when we've reported on this, we've done Vox Pops from Nairobi, mm -hmm. we've done Vox Pops from Port-au-Prince. Mm -hmm. Universally, and we haven't selected Vox Pops, we've just gone out to the streets and put microphones in front of people's mouths. Mm -hmm. Universally, no one in Kenya, no one in Haiti seemed to want this police deployment. But online, you know, the social media, the internet warriors, the keyboard warriors, as they call them, they say, oh, but there's a gang problem in Haiti. Uh, something needs to be done. What's your response to that, this idea that there's a gang problem in Haiti, it's better that it's African soldiers as opposed to soldiers from elsewhere? Okay. Well, my, well, my take on it is uh, exactly what you said. Certainly, uh, Haiti doesn't want another uh, UN force. They've been trying to get, they took them years to get rid of the last UN force. Part of the reason that that last UN force was this uh, notion that there were gangs. Uh, there's a very uh, good uh, documentary that says, We Must Kill the Bandits. It's about this notion that the, uh, the, the reason that uh, the UN forces were uh, deployed has something to do with this concept of gangs. I think that if that was the case, we have, far, we have uh, other small countries in the world or other big countries in the world that have gang problems. Even the U.S. has gang problems, supposedly. Even, uh, certainly, we could say violence in the so-called Caribbean basin and, and places like Jamaica and other places have worse gang, have worse gang problems. So how many, uh, so nobody's uh, sending a U.N. force or calling for police or anybody else to go into the U.S. and go in to solve their gang problem or go into any other uh, country with a gang problem. So it seems that certainly this deployment has nothing to do with the contradiction of, of, of gangs in, in Haiti. And history has shown most people who are on the ground in Haiti that these, these, they have been more repressive of the political uh, uh, opposition 
to uh, U.S. Uh, interference into their government than anything else. That's really why people don't want, even though they may not want uh, certainly to have these uh, forces that are disruptive to the political uh, landscape uh, uh, and, and, being de- and, and conducting violence. But we even have to ask, where, do the, where are these, uh, what is the origins of these uh, so-called gangs? Where are their weapons coming from? And, and I think that these are the questions that the West doesn't want to answer because they know the answers already. They know what they want to do, and they, it certainly is not about the welfare of Haiti. Let me stop there. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think uh, people will maybe mention the fact that you know Haiti doesn't have a stable government. It hasn't had a stable government since I don't know how long. And there could be the argument or the discussion around the role of the West in making that the current situation in Haiti. Regarding the violence, you know, you said the United States has its own gang problems. Jamaica had a period of uh, being in under state of emergency for quite a while, but it's only Haiti. So could the, you know, excuse be that Haiti does not have the necessary state apparatus to deal with the gang violence? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that can be, you could could say that, but you can't say it... uh, openly in the sense that uh, there is no reason to understand that the U.S. would be able to resolve the problem or a U.N. force would be able to uh, 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 solve the problem. Because in all of the previous iterations of this, uh, this, this kind of uh, scenario, they have been the ones who've come in to train the police. They have been the ones who have trained these forces that are supposed to take care of the problem. So why is the problem still going on? So when we talk about the question of, of elections, why would the U.S. even recognize an unelected official in Haiti? This shows a certain kind of dishonesty. Why do we see fingerprints of the U.S. behind the assassination of Moïse? Why do we see the U.S., its role and uh, controlling the, uh, the electoral uh, board in, in Haiti. What, you know, so there is a history, and this history is why we can't trust these forces to, be, uh, to resolve the, pr- the problem. It's, to me, it's like, uh, do you call on a, a, a burglar who's broken into your house to come give you security advice? <laughs> yeah, so I think that these are the the contradictions that become evident that, this, uh, that these are not sincere efforts to change the conditions in Haiti. I think everybody wants uh, to have sincere uh, actions taken in Haiti. But to me, it's about allowing the people to be empowered for themselves. They have their own organizations. They have their own uh, community uh, groups that can come together and work out their problems, but they can't do it in an atmosphere where their actual resistance to being uh, imposed on is uh, being ignored. I mean, they don't want these groups. How can you come in and resolve a problem and the, and the people don't trust you? You're going to be an additive problem. You're just going to be more people with guns and more people who don't 
have any consideration for the lives of Haitian people. Obviously, Haitian blood doesn't mean anything to the uh, imperialist world, and particularly the U.S. Look, I, I, I said this uh, on our program before, uh, and I mean our program that we just had last Wednesday. Look, when Haiti had its earthquake back in 2000, I think it's 10 or 11, I think it's 11, in 2011, Cuba sent doctors. Venezuela sent aid, canceled loans, and helped the, uh, Haitian, uh, the Haitian people. The United States sent troops to take over the ports and to take over the airport. And it's widely believed that while they were there, they were stealing uridium from the country. So how can you feel comfortable, again, inviting that burglar back in for, to, to add security? It just doesn't uh, make any logical sense, and that's why the Haitian people are quite clear. We don't want gangs of violence and, and bandits, but we certainly don't want the gangs in, in, uh, from the U.S. and Canada and France or from any forces that are going to legit try to legitimize this, this mission. Because it's, to me, under my understanding, that they're only trying to get Kenyans because the Kenyans look like the Haitians. Yes. <laughs> they're not trying to get Kenyans because they believe the Kenyan, the, the, the red, this, this is the that they are going to resolve the contradiction. And they're certainly not going to resolve this contradiction under the, uh, under the leadership or the, uh, the guise of, of 200-something uh, million dollars from the United States, which means you know everything. Everybody knows this. Those who pay the piper call the tune. Yes, yes. So many, so many interesting points. Uh, I come from a youth work background and whenever I would go into work in a school or work with a community I'd always have to do something called a DBS check which is a background check and that's to say if this person's going to work with said community let's check what his history is does he have any criminal convictions mm. just to look at the United States' role in the Caribbean alone if you were to extend it the United States' role in Latin America the Monroe Doctrine, would suggest that they failed the DBS check. Mm -hmm. uh, that's point number one. Point number two, another reason why I think they're using uh, Kenyan police force was another way to get past the UN Security Council. Had it have been American forces, China or Russia, probably Russia more than China, mm -hmm. would have probably uh, abstained, uh, would, would probably have vetoed. Mm -hmm. But because it was Kenyan police force and your know, relationships with Kenya and, you know, this this kind of, a geopolitical battle that's happening in Africa for influence in the region. They abstained as opposed to vetoing. So there were several reasons for that. Um, Sefri, let me bring you in. So as someone that was organising here in, in Nairobi, someone that was organising events like the Hands of Haiti event, was you surprised by the decision in the High Court? Um, quite frankly, yes, I was. But my surprise, of course, is coming in because um, I did not expect the judiciary to be so constitutional and to take um, to take the side of the people because um, in previous cases, probably this has not been the case. Although of late, we've seen with our judiciary that they've been taking more the side of the people when it comes to issues like the housing levy, 
We have seen an internal fight, which we see in Kenya, between the executive and the judiciary, and now they want to rope in the, the legislature. And even as we were doing these Hands of Haiti event, one of the things that we were even saying at the event, which is in Chapter 1 of the Constitution of Kenya, is that all sovereign rights belong to the people. So even when we have the executive and the judiciary and the legislature, these people are put they're put there because they're representing the voices of the people in these different arms of government. And all of us cannot be there in parliament and all of us cannot be president to represent Kenya and all of us cannot be in the judiciary. So we have these three arms of government that work independently. And of course, now we're seeing a bit more of the independence of the constitution. Last year, um, in July, we had the Finance Act, which passed. This is why I'm surprised because the whole country was in uproar mm. on that finance act, but just because the executive wanted this finance act and probably they had some sort of collusion with the judiciary, this was able to pass. But if you listen to the voices of Kenyans everywhere, there was a huge uproar on this act and on the implications that it would have on the people and the taxes they would have to pay, which all of us are now complaining about. So yes, I was a bit surprised by this. More than that, of course, I am relieved and happy, having been one of the people who are organizing a hands-off Haiti event and saying that we want to resist the occupation on Haiti. And I just want to say that, of course, there was some infiltration, yes. even during our event, yes. where some people came and they wore these T-shirts and, you know, they came in as if they were uh, part of the event and, you know, they came in earlier than everybody else, two hours earlier. Yes. And, and they were so excited. And in between... In, in the event, like an hour or so, they went out and they wore this propaganda and they came in to say that uh, we support the peacekeeping mission. But even when we were having conversations with these people, they did not know what they were talking about. Yes. They kept saying that this is Pan-Africanism, that Kenya has been known as a hub of peace, you know, in Africa, and we keep on sending our troops everywhere. But... Um, the situation was a bit more dire, and uh, Comrade Sakawa was uh, was talking about the the police force in Kenya and how come um, it is unconstitutional for them to be deployed. First of all, we need to look at what is the work of the police. Mm. The work of the police is for them to be able to do internal protection in Kenya. Mm. This is one of the reasons that make it so unconstitutional because the boundaries of the Kenyan police is within the Kenyan uh, the Kenyan state, and that is why probably international we have uh, people like the Interpol because now they have been given the license to operate internationally. So a police from another country may not have jurisdiction in Kenya. So it, it first of all, it's absurd for us to want to deploy our police whose work is to do um, the protection and the security here internally in Kenya. When we bring in the issue of military, Ahmed, which you're talking about, then now this brings about uh, an issue of... Um, would I say interference? Yeah. Because now it's, 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 it's almost as if you want to bring in war between these two countries. And as Comrade Sobuka was saying, of course, the reason why they want Kenyan police, and it wasn't just Kenya, Rwanda was, always, was also approached for this. So the issue here was not about the specific country. The issue was for us to be able to get people of black skin or people who look like the Haitians so that it does not look like the imperialism that it is. Yeah. But but of course, we know that this is imperialism and people may be asking, why are you the people in Kenya speaking about an issue of Haiti? But it's because we are here and of course we are 
we are proclaiming and we are fighting for a unification of all African peoples in Africa and even those in diaspora, wherever they are, for us to be able to fight against this system that is oppressing Africans. And even from the discussions that we've been having, um, we are speaking about the United Nations Security Council. Mm -hmm. We are speaking about the, the decision that was made to deploy uh, these police to Haiti. But my biggest question here today is why? Why Haiti? Because we have seen invasions in many other countries. And I will give an example of Western Sahara, which is also under occupation and unfortunately under occupation from another African country. Mm. But why is it that this country does not want to let go of Sahrawi? It's because of the phosphate that is there and the minerals which uh, create fertilizer. So, of course, this is something that uh, Morocco is gaining from. When you look at Africa and the period of colonization. Why was Africa colonized by Europeans, for example? It's because of the raw materials that were here. That was really the biggest reason why the religion was being bought, the education, whatever, for them to be able to have access. So what is this that uh, Haiti has? So first of all, Haiti was the first uh, country uh, of African peoples, you know, to declare its independence. Even in the 1900s, when there was slavery in the United States and all other countries, there was no slavery in Haiti. Mm. So you can imagine how progressive this country was during that time where, you know, all Africans during the transatlantic, uh, excuse me, the transatlantic Atlantic slave trade yeah. and uh, during the uh, slave trade that was happening with the Arabs, Haiti was a free yes. country where Africans would be able to go. And they declared it an African country yes. where no matter uh, what color you were, you had to declare yourself African. So you can see how progressive this country was. Number two, of course, we are talking about the minerals that Haiti has, and we've spoken about this before, iridium, which is a very rare uh, mineral, it, which is only found in South Africa and in Haiti. But Haiti has about 65% of the world's iridium, and one ton of iridium goes for for about um, 60 billion USD. Mm. And you can imagine the amount of mountains of this mineral in Haiti. So, of course, this makes Haiti to be... Um, a country where people want to run and to be able to get to get these minerals. But what is iridium used for? Iridium is used to make uh, heat-resistant spaceships. So this is science, and this is something that is out of the world. Then number two, and we talked about this during the Hands of Haiti event, is the geographical location of Haiti, which is between Cuba and Venezuela. And of course, these countries have a lot of interest from the Western countries. And we've seen this even in the Russian-Ukrainian war and uh, the proximity, and I will not get into, into that. Another thing that I just want to mention shortly is also when we speak about the geographical location of Haiti, uh, which is between four tectonic plates. Mm. And um, Haiti is between the uh, Caribbean tectonic plate, the Atlantic uh, tectonic plate, the North American tectonic plate, and the South American tectonic plates. Why is this so important? important because this uh, location makes uh, Haiti to be in a very um, apt place. So Haiti has so much oil. So of course, this all these things about Haiti makes it so lucrative mm -hmm. for people to be able to want to to take control o over it, and yeah, for them to be able to mine and to be able to um, gain from Haiti. So uh, this, in my opinion, is what is making Haiti such a hotbed, and why um, there is so much invasion of this country, and why there is so much uh, imperialists who want to take over this African.
country. Yeah, yes. uh, so maybe you know explain. There's a contradiction I noticed. <coughs> I think maybe two years ago we had Musafaki unilaterally granting Israel observer status at the AU. Yes. Then, <laughs> on the other hand, the AU voted against granting Haiti membership into the African Union. Yeah. But still, we have the Kenyan president at the UN General Assembly last year saying, you know, this is a Pan-African mission. Haiti is a brotherly country. So, how how do you reconcile this rhetoric? compared to the actions that they take you know given it's basically with israel being granted admission into the au it shows it's not impossible it wasn't impossible for haiti to get the same treatment as well but it did not but their actions reflect something totally yeah. different how do you how do you explain that before you answer that just two quick points israel's now been suspended from the AU. yeah for, but partly because of the actions not this year but last year yeah. of i think algeria and south africa yeah and the second point we have to mention is that when President William Ruto gave his speech, he said Haiti has suffered from interference. <laughs> from, he, he, made, he, 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 he highlighted what's gone wrong with Haiti without saying who was, was yeah. who was the guilty party. <laughs> the guilty party was the one yeah, sponsoring the, the one trip. that's the one that's paying him to two hundred million dollars yeah. to go. So so it, 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 the, the the interesting part of that for me is that there must be some sort of shift. Um, maybe I'm being too optimistic, but the fact that you try to dress it up in mm. Pan-African cloak mm. must mean the Pan-African message is resonating. Uh, I don't know if that's me being no, too I, I optimistic, totally but the, yeah. I, like, the idea that he's trying to, to present it as some sort of Pan-African mission must, must mean that he understands there's a sentiment out there that, that will only accept it under these terms. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. For me, this also goes back to when we were starting the podcast, you kept saying that, you know, the theme for today is Pan-African, Pan-African attitude. And I was asking you, like, so is there a definition of this mm. Pan-African attitude? And you're like, oh, yes, the Pan-African attitude is going to come out when we have the conversation. And it, it's coming out now, mm. at least for me. When this question comes up on the uh, Musafaki Mahamat uh, granting Israel observer status in the a in the AU, and also for them refusing for Haiti to be able to be a part of the AU, uh, and of course, in my opinion, this is an issue of what is Pan Africanism. That mm. is one, and uh, the second thing, it's also an issue of PR. A lot of PR that we see out outside here. One, uh, when I say what is Pan Africanism, for a great period of time, a lot of people think that Pan Africanism one is. Well, we can say the unification of people of Africa, in Africa, mm. you know, the people who are in the African states. And I think when we started this, and even when I, um, we, was, we were saying, why is it that we are speaking about Haiti, being people who are very far away from this country? It is because inatuhusu, inatuhusu is a, is a Swahili word that means what? It, yes, thank you. <laughs> I don't have the translation. <laughs> yeah. Inatuhusu. And why is it that this issue in Atuhusu, it's because these are people of African descent wherever they are. So even when we speak about Pan-Africanism, and I said this earlier and we've reiterated it before, but I still want to say it now, it's not just about the unification of people in the African continent. Mm. It is the unification of people of African descent mm. across the world. 
this would include the Haitian people, this would include the um, African-American people, wherever they are, this would be, include the people of African descent in the Caribbean, this would include the people in the Middle East of African descent, so all these people of African descent coming together. So one of the reasons, in my opinion, why Haiti was not granted um, entry into the AU is because probably they see it as, you know, a, con a country that is so far away from Africa, so it, it is detached from Africa. And that is why we need to have this definition so that we know yes. how, what exactly is Pan-Africanism. And in that case, then, who are these people who are supposed to yeah. be in the AU and in the African Union? So that it's not just the country states that make up Africa, but any people of African descent up to and including Haiti. On the issue of PR and our president, of course, we've seen it so much, you know, like, oh, my God, all the way from the uh, presidential promises and up to now it's as if the president is campaigning you know yeah. where the judiciary says okay we are not going to ground the housing levy because it goes against the constitution and the people of kenya and etc and he goes and says no the covenant that i have covenant <laughs> the covenant covenant the covenant that i have is between i and the people of kenya and nobody can stand in between this covenant that is pr yeah. You see, because now it is cutting corners. That is the same way he can come up and say, oh, yes, this is Pan-Africanism. This is the interference in Haiti. This is what is happening. But then at the same time, be able to deploy this police. Another thing I can also tell you is about this dangling thing, you know, that is being dangled, the 200 million yeah. USD. Yeah. And we said it earlier, he who pays the piper calls the tune. So there's this 200 million. You've been given this money already. So... What tune are you going to play to? There are rules and regulations that come with this money. We saw this before when we had the visit with Bill Gates and they gave Kenya a specific amount of money and said, okay, now we want uh, this country to legalize GMOs. Mm -hmm. So they called the, the piper because they pay the tune. That is the same thing that is happening. So it shouldn't really you know, concern you or be such a huge contradiction when you see these things happening. Of course, we want to hold our leaders to a, a higher stake, and it is not happening. And that is why we have people like you and I who are giving alternative leadership. That is why we have um, media like African Stream that is actually talking about, you know, what is it that is supposed to be done what is the true leadership so i also now will bring in the issue of leadership that it does not you don't need to get to the point of being a president or a minister or whoever to be able to make a change or to say what is right this in itself yeah. is already leadership and being able to guide and also uh, to debunk and deconstruct you know all these ideologies that are not right yes 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 um and only wants to jump back in um <laughs> Yes, I think it is the unification of African people at home and abroad. But it has to be unification to break away from the shackles of oppression. It can't just be we link up at a concert and we sing. It can't just be a cultural event, although these things are important. It has to be we come... Yeah, it has to be a way of us coming together and figuring out how we can unite to change the circumstances that have kept us in a position of servitude for over 400 years. And that's why you can't have someone like Israel in, because Israel has no intention mm. of breaking the shackles. Israel wants to be part of the oppressive class. And that's why people like Haiti was denied, because Haiti is part of the oppressed class. And that's why the, you know, the African Union, people think the African Union is some sort of uh, mechanism 
of Pan-Africanism. <laughs> it's not. It's funded by uh, the, the, United, EU. the EU the and Western powers. Yeah. There's nothing... It, it recognises the old colonial borders. There's nothing in any of its actions, in any of its manifestos, that attempts to change the global order that has Africa and African people bottom. at the bottom of the ladder. Now, um, I'm going to... You mentioned something, and I've got a bunch of videos here because we're really going to expose... These these infiltrators, you know, don't don't think you got away with it. We're, we're not even getting started. <laughs> yeah. But before we do that, there's just something I wanted to ask Brother Sabukwe. So you said something quite interesting. They they talk about the gang problem in Haiti, but all of the research suggests that the gang problem or the guns that the gangs get come from two places. So they come from Miami, Florida, and that's how they get into the hands of the gangs. And then the government is funded by the United States and Canada. And the, gov the government, apparently, government officials are selling gang members weapons mm -hmm. through the black market. So both of the guns that end up in the hands of, the, of these gangs come from essentially the same source. And um, you use the analogy of the bank robber. It's like the, the arsonist, you know, he, 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 he sets the... The, the the fire, yeah. He still he still got the canister in his hand yeah. with with the matches, but then goes you know you need some help. help. Yeah. You need some help with this fire. <laughs> so just talk a bit about the weapons that that ended up in the hands of these people and 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 how you know whenever this is discussed on the media, the corporate media, mainstream media, the origins, the root causes are always dismissed. It's just like for some reason it just happened. It just happened that the, the Haitian people are genetically disposed to forming gangs and, you know, attack each other. No, I, I think if we really do uh, re, uh, research uh, in, into even the, the, the drug problems in the U.S. and the weapons problems in the U.S., they're tied to uh, uh, corporations, they're tied to and uh and we find that even uh, we know that uh even uh, un uh the US is tied to in every war has been tied to drug uh uh, uh the drug trafficking you know we know that when they could, when the US was the CIA was cut off uh and the Sandinistas which were the front uh group uh in Nicaragua that was uh undermining the Nicaraguan government that was illegally undermining it, the, the government. We saw that there was this whole situation where the CIA was working to help bring gr drugs into the United States and dumping them in African neighborhoods, or, uh, allowing the, uh, these, these so-called organized street organizations to turn into uh, drug dealers. And, and this history of the CIA and the and and the uh, U.S. Uh, using and 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 uh, using these structures, these underground structures or these illegal structures uh, that do illegal activities, I should say, these street structures, what people call gangs, to do illegal activity has always been tied to these 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 forces, and even when we look at Miami, Miami is home to mafia. And, and illegal activity. That is, but this illegal activity has always been also tied to the, the U.S. government. When the uh, invasion, the, we know the, uh, the invasion of Cuba, mafia aided uh, 
the government in doing this. This same mafia is a part and part and parcel of U.S. imperialism. It is, and it's not, and so why would we think it would be different in the situation in Haiti? Why do we think it would be different in this situation in Haiti? These forces are used to undermine community in Haiti. Because if you, if community, when community is, is stable, it has a better chance to uh, overthrow its oppression. When it's unstable, this is when it's a, you're, you're able to justify moving in other kinds of military forces. This is the same thing they said in, 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 uh, in both cases. In 1991, when they overthrew Aristide, the only elected, uh, when I say legally elected, uh, uh, president of Haiti, the U.S. spent 60-something million dollars in trying to defeat him and he, the people still, with pennies, were still able to elect who they wanted to elect. So we know that the, but we know that the U.S. is never satisfied. The imperialist forces are never satisfied. When they don't get what they want, they go to the, uh, the secret forces, the underground forces, the same way that they did in Cuba is the same way they did, uh, did do, do it in Haiti. You get these mafia types, these uh, weapons dealers who are selling uh, to drug dealers in all over the world. And the U.S., of course, look. Let's let's look at let's look at something. This is the most uh, military. We spend more. The, the, uh, I should say the U.S. spends more of the stolen tax dollar for, to on military than any other country in the world. If they wanted to stop drug uh, dealing in any place in the world, they could, right? I mean, because you and I, we're in our community. We know who sells the drugs. You mean they got all the spy equipment <coughs> that they can see me and you walking down the street and identify us on thousands of cameras, and they don't know who is selling the drugs, and they don't know who is selling the weapons, and they don't know they don't know nothing about any of these these weapons getting into to Haiti. They don't know anything about any of these uh, organized uh, so-called street gangs in Haiti. This is a farce because they've used them before to justify uh, overthrowing a legitimate government. Before it's not like I said, you know, you know, uh, we can predict future behavior by past behavior, right? We, we can see that. We know that these uh, things, these weapons and things like that are not by accident. And these, uh, like, street gangs in the U.S., when, when, when they got uh, militarized, these guys weren't organizing themselves and going to find uh, weapons. I mean, they weren't organizing. These weapons were brought to them. Just like they didn't start the drug trade. These drugs were brought to them. So we have every reason to believe and to understand that these Haitians in these communities didn't go out and get these guns. But these guns were brought to them, and they were organized to disrupt. You know, 
not to say they have no agency, but certainly the agency is amplified, is amplified by the political policies and the, the need for the U.S. to s- declare Haiti ungovernable and, 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 not that, and that it needs only international help. You know, but who, do, who, who really has done the, gang, the, 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 the gangster-type things in Haiti? When you, when you are able to land a helicopter and pull the president of a country out of his house in the middle of the night and, and him and his wife and put them on a plane to, to nowhere. He didn't know, they didn't know where they were going and forced them to sign a paper at gunpoint. And you have three governments involved, at least France, Canada, and the United States. You're talking about some serious gangster kind of stuff. Now, this is, you know, high level gangsterism. So they so the idea that these people are somehow unaware, unaware, they're making the weapons. Nobody's this is not like uh, in Palestine where the Palestinians are making their homemade weapons. We're talking about identifiable US made weapons. We're talking about hardware that people have to uh, get from certain spaces. They're not available all over the world. So I'm saying that there's um, almost an impossible scenario where these forces that we're talking about, the mafia giving compliance from the U.S. is not involved. And one of, I'll let William jump in, but one of the people that pleaded guilty in the assassination of the previous Prime Minister Maurice mm-hmm. uh, is a DAE, D, DEA mm-hmm. informant. So it's like, so this guy is giving you all this information about local drug dealers. <laughs> <laughs> but you want us to believe he didn't tell you anything or you haven't communicated with him at all about the plot to assassinate the the head of state. It's just, it's make-believe. And what they do is uh, they deny, they deny, deny, but then in 30, 40 years' time, they'll make a a Netflix Netflix series. Yeah, documentary. They've got this this series, um, I think it's on HBO, Disney+, Plus, one of these platforms, called Snowfall. Mm. In Snowfall, it shows quite clearly a local drug dealer climbs up the ladder who gets his drugs from uh, the DEA, clearly the, the US government hasn't sued uh, Snowfall producers <laughs> for misrepresentation. Yeah. It doesn't say this is not true events. It says this is based loosely on real life events. So it's clear, it's just what they do is they hold off and they wait to a point in time where, not, where they think people don't care anymore. Mm. Uh, William. Yeah, I think no, mine will be Regarding just going back to Haiti being denied entry into the African Union, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking more along the lines of America's Monroe Doctrine, where Haiti being regarded as part of their backyard. And additionally, the African Union contributing only 30% of its budget. As you said, who pays the Piper calls the tune. Could the U.S. have been involved in putting pressure on the African Union, saying, do not dare admit Haiti. That is our backyard. Do not touch it. No, no, no. I mean, we know the policy. 
the so-called, like is, uh, that you mentioned and has been mentioned earlier, this whole question of Monroe Doctrine, and I think people need you to know this. The Monroe Doctrine comes out of a, 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 a statement and a, a policy that was put together by the government that says everything around surrounding this uh, this Caribbean basin, or the Americas, is the U.S.'s backyard. So for them, just like they uh, were furious with the relationship between the Soviet Union and Cuba, and you know that led to almost a, 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 so, a so-called nuclear war. When the, when, uh, the U.S. had put uh, missiles in, in Turkey aimed at Russia, and the Russians retaliated by putting missiles in Cuba, uh, uh, and the, the U.S. threatened World War, uh, I guess at that time, three. They said that they, would, you know, that they would blow up the island. And the only way that they came to an, uh, got past this impasse was for the, the Soviet Union to decide, okay, you take these missiles out of Turkey, we'll take our missiles out of Cuba. And uh, this is how serious this is. Certainly, certainly the U.S. doesn't want to have any other powers in that region. And certainly for Haiti to have, even though Africa's weak, to be a, have, uh, uh, be associated with the continent of Africa, which would strengthen it a little bit is for them a no-go. And when I'm paying you, because it's not like you're independent from me, when I'm paying you, when I'm paying your, the, the price uh, of, of your operation, and I tell you that I don't want you to uh, be flirting with uh, some notion of, this, uh, of Haiti or any other Caribbean country being in, in, uh, part of the, the African uh, political uh, reality, then you you must do it because we're going to do this, that, and the other. But I think that you know that's the uh, the problem, part of the problem in terms of again having an, a, a revolutionary perspective, having a a real Pan African perspective. Because Pan Africanism, in its very inception, even before it became politically uh, sophisticated and worked out its uh, clear revolutionary ideology, it didn't start in a space that was really revolutionary, but it did start in a space that was anti-imperialism. It had to stay because that is where it was calling for unity, because of the imperialism that had invaded uh, the African continent. And so from the very beginning, Pan-Africanism is anti-imperialist. Even So any force that says it's Pan-Africanist and it's not anti-imperialist, it's, it's beyond, it's, it's the kind of Pan-Africanism that uh, the imperialists envisioned for themselves. You know, when uh, Jan Smuts, who was, uh, uh, was right, right before in, in South Africa, he was a leader that led, he didn't, apartheid didn't exactly start, but when he was in the, uh, uh, in the parliament of Britain, he was a South African, of course, who was a settler colonist and, and, and believed in the, in the uh, inferiority of, of African people and, and was, you know, and he had a relationship 
with uh, uh, Weissman, the second president of the uh, of the uh, Zionist movement, the second uh, president of the Zionist movement. They wrote stories or letters back and forth, I should say, back and forth to the U.S., I mean, back and forth to each other, saying that we'll... Uh, we, the white masters, will organize all of Africa for us. You will rule it from the north, meaning Zionist Israel, and we'll move it, we'll rule it from the south, meaning uh, uh, settler colony of, of South Africa. And this is even before the, the, uh, the, the Israel state had even come to pass. They were already having their version Pan-Africanism, which was an imperialist one. And some of, when, when we see these neo-colonial leaders basically using the term Pan-Africanism, they're really talking about an imperialist Pan-Africanism. They're, they're talking about, because you're backing the imperialist political policy. So you're not a, 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 you're not a Pan-Africanist on a, even the lowest level, because you ain't anti-imperialist, and you're certainly not a revolutionary pan-Africanist who's calling for the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. You can't be that. So this is how we can know you're not serious. You can, you can dress in kinti cloth. You can go and make fancy speeches in front of the, uh, the AU. You can declare that you're going to Haiti for pan-African reasons, but you're following the imperialist policy on every level. You expose yourself because, because, because you're meeting, I mean, you're, you're, you're showing us your consciousness. You're sitting and in, 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 uh, having a conversation with the CIA, not just secretly, but out in the open. And what has the CIA done in Africa? Uh, what has it done to African people around the world? Even Marcus, you know, uh, well, the FBI, which is the domestic kind of, of CIA, was the, the, was the pre, the uh, J. Edgar Hoover was uh, assigned to undermine the Pan-African movement in the United States. He was the one who went after uh, Marcus Garvey. That was his first assignment. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, the FBI grew out of that. You know, so, so, so we know that the... They put, we're going to talk about the infiltrator. They put an infiltrator on the famous uh, Black Star ship mm -hmm. to make to the make Black Star Line. Yes. The Black Star Line. Uh -huh. To make sure that it never took off. Yes. Um, um, I'm just going to mention one more thing, and then we're going to talk about the infiltrators, because it's, it's a big part of the discourse. Um, so when I mentioned the military before, it's not me saying, and I'm sure, just for the sake of the audience, I know you don't mean, you don't think I think this. It's not me saying that I want the military to go. It's just, I've been, I've observed these type of situations before. So in the, it's a different case, but when Julian, I was covering the Julian Assange trial in London, and there was a decision by the initial court, I think it was the High Court, not to extradite him to the United States. But the justification to not extradite him initially wasn't because he has the right to report, wasn't because this is within the public interest, wasn't any of the reasons why the campaigners wanted them to say. They said extraditing him 
uh, will jeopardize his mental health. So there was all these people cheering and celebrating, like, this is a great thing, this is a great thing. And then a month or so later, the US uh, gave some provisions that they were going to look after his mental health. And now they said, okay, cool, you can extradite him again. So um, I say that to say the wording of why they're not the, 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 uh, in the high court is very important. So the fact that they said, oh, it's because it's a police force. They didn't say Kenya has no business mm. being in Haiti. If they said Kenya has no business being in Haiti, this is a sovereign country. Our responsibility are to the people of Kenya. I would have been, you know, celeb celebratory. But the fact that they said, yes, well, a police force isn't constitutional. That's what gives me, you know, oh. pause. Yes. Um, so, yeah, just, uh, you know, you mentioned about the finance bill. Yeah. Uh, do, is that something that concerns you? The fact that they just, they kind of did it on a technicality rather than, you know, any uh, moral or principles? Well, I will disagree with you a bit, Ahmed, on that. And I think also, yes, it's it's a matter of now of, of opinion. Mm. But for me, um, and especially because we want this occupation of Haiti to end and we want the Haitians to be free, for them to be sovereign, and for them to be able to solve their, their disputes internally and for there to be non-interference mm. with the state of Haiti. On whatever, well, you want to call it a technicality, but for me, the thing is that there's a cessation of this deployment of police into Haiti. And for me, that is a win. Sure. And we walk step by step. Yes. We cannot, um, even when we say that we are working towards scientific socialism or even communism, it's not something that we will get to you know, in a day. We cannot say that we want a revolution or we want to achieve mm. internationalism. We've had people like the Black Panther fight for this. We've had SWAPO, we've had ANC. We've had such progressive leaders, Julius Nyerere, who have been fighting for socialism. You know, and even, for example, if I give the example of Nyerere during his time, he was oosted from power and people were like, no, you know, we, we, we don't want to do to deal with this ujamaa anymore, socialism. But right now, when you look at Tanzania, when you go there, when you visit there, the people can see what this man did for them. They celebrate him more than they've ever celebrated any other leader. Why? Because the fruits of his labor were not seen at that time when he did it, but they're being seen now. They're seeing that, okay, well, you know, this person really wanted the best for us and you know this was the way to go in the same way i will say about this haitian issue issue that we have a cessation of the deployment of police mm. and that is a first, first step we at least have something you know, yes. so the police are not going to get there. When we have something else, then we'll cross that bridge and we'll be able to fight it. And of course, yeah. yes, we want to put other mechanisms that uh, that would stop, you know, the, the invasion uh, in itself. And of course, the invasion is imperialism. We have spoken about, about it here. And of course, that is a system that we are fighting with scientific socialism, which is an antithesis to imperialism, that we are fighting with internationalism, which we are practicing here today, that um, we are fighting with what we want to call revolutionary pan-Africanism. And with that also, I just want to give a disclaimer that the word pan-Africanism in itself is already progressive. Mm -hmm. When you say pan-Africanism, what you mean is actually um, the, um, the unification of all people under scientific socialism, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's not us meeting and, you know, dancing <laughs> and joining hands. And no, the word pan-Africanism in itself is progressive. So if anybody else 
else wants to use that term, if there's anybody else who is liaising with the imperialists or who is using it as any other thing. Earlier on, I had said it is bourgeois pan-Africanism, and I'll even correct myself. You cannot have a, a progressive term with a, a word that is retrogressive. So maybe the word for all these other people would be anti-Africanism, yes. you know, but not pan-Africanism. The minute you use the word pan-Africanism, then you mean this progressive um, unification of African people under the scientific socialism. So anybody who's using it in any other manner is an anti-African and we should be able to to That's call it. them such. Not don't don't say, oh no, you know our for example, our president uh, talked about such pan-Africanism ideals. No, call it what it is. What is it? It's anti-Africanism, yes. not pan-Africanism. So every time we speak about pan-Africanism, it is progressive. And anything else is, is not progressive. So I am happy with that decision because oh. at least uh, it has been able to, to put a cessation to something yes. uh, that would Yeah, because they wanted to send police force this month. This month, so, so it's not going to happen. And now yes. I, I'll, I'll tell you, for example, in the DR Congo, we were able to send our military. If you if you were able to see that on TV, mm -hmm. it happened, and there was no um, involvement of the judiciary. Mm. It was a decision that was made, and the next day we just saw them. Like I was on my TV, like wow, you know what is happening? It was just like okay, yes, we are going to send our military, and they're going to go into DR Congo, and. So there was no involvement mm. in the same manner that, yeah. you know, this has had. And yes, if yeah. our judiciary continues being as progressive as this, then I think we can, you know, we can go uh, much further. Well, they might, they might start trying to bypass the judiciary. That's what happens when there's an instrument that doesn't serve your agenda. They just bypass it. Mm. With the Iraq war, they kind of bypassed the UN Security Council because they, they thought the UN Security Council wouldn't give them what, we, what they want. Over Christmas, you know, they thought no one was paying attention. They hosted rebel groups from the DRC yeah. here, in, here in, uh, in Kenya. There was no discussion with the judiciary there. Um, but that's a perfect segue, anti-Africanism. I'm going to use that to this group. Now, I'm just going to briefly, William, if you could just push that in front so uh, Professor Bukwe can see as well and then press play when I give you the, the nod. But before I do that, before I do that, I'll just give a little introduction. You guys, part of the Pan-African Socialist Alliance, organised a brilliant event last week. Me and William were in attendance. This was before the High Court ruling that gave us a lot of us so much joy. Mm -hmm. um, now, at this event, we saw these people. You mentioned it briefly, yeah. Sefu. We saw these people. Uh, they showed up in the car park. They all met, and they were all given these T-shirts, high-quality T-shirts. You know, we've got some African stream T-shirts that's not the same quality. I'm, I'm afraid to say. Can I have one of you African Yes, streaming? sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, but quite quickly, we realised that something wasn't right. Um, so they came to this event. There was only one of them that was willing to speak. Mm -hmm. um, I went to speak to some of them in the car park, and, and this is what they had to say. William, do you want to play the video? Hi, comrades. Can I ask you some questions? Can I ask you some questions? No. You're wearing Africa for Haiti. You don't want to speak to me? I just, want to, I just want to ask some questions. You've, you've, got, you've got a t-shirt that says, we support Haiti Peace Mission. So I just want to ask you some questions. Because in my opinion, in my opinion, you don't know why you're here. You've been paid to come here. Someone has paid you to wear these t-shirts. If you, if you believe what you're saying, if you believe what you're saying, tell me why you're supporting the, supporting the peace mission. If you believe in what you're saying, tell me why you support the peace mission. I don't speak Swahili. I don't speak No, no, let me just ask. Let me just ask. <laughs> huh? you, you've come to infiltrate our event. 
So I should do outing to be you? What does that mean? You know me? Is that a threat? Is that a threat? Is that a threat? I don't speak Swahili. I don't speak Swahili. No money. No money. I, know I can defend why there should be hands off Haiti, but you won't speak to me. If you want to speak to me on camera, I'll speak to you on camera. Brother, brother, why are you wearing a t-shirt that says, we support the peace mission? Okay. Please explain. We support the peace mission. Pause it there. Pause it there. Okay. So um, it started off, it started before I started filming. Um, but to me, you know, 20 people at an event, none of them came from the local vicinity. So they came from a long way away, but they couldn't explain why they were there. Um, that's why, you know, I was, I was saying probably, probably a bit unprofessionally a bit as a journalist. But anyway, I was saying that I think they were paid. Um, what do you make of this? And as someone that's been organising in Kenya for many, many years, has anything like this happened before? Well, from the events that we've organised, OK, yes. But this was a big infiltration. Um, in 2020, uh, from the Communist Party of Kenya, uh, we organised an event which was called Unlock Our Country. And this was during the time of COVID-19, where we were protesting the unscientific measures um, of the COVID-19 cessation of movement. And ma many of the people who are hospitality and entertainment workers lost their jobs and a lot of people lost their lives. And during this time, when we went to protest in the streets of Nairobi, we were infiltrated by the police. This is very normal. Mm. But it's abnormal if uh, the police infiltrate you to the level whereby they they come to your office where you're doing your operations and then they um, they arrest everybody. So that was a bit much. And after the protest, you know, we went to the office, which was um, Swiss Cottages at that time. And the police came and they infiltrated the office. This is maybe two, three hours after, after the event. And um, it came from some of the people, you know, who were in the protest who had been comrades for a while. But this kind of infiltration, though, whereby while we were organizing the event and um, maybe it would behoove me to just speak a bit a bit PASA, mm. which is a conglomeration of um, progressive organizations uh, in Kenya, um, which are rooted on anti-imperialism and anti-capitalism, scientific socialism and uh, feminism. And of course, it includes the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, Communist Party of Kenya, Marxist-Leninist, um, where I'm from, the Ukombozi Library as well, and um, Cheche, Cheche Books and Library, and um, <coughs> oh yes, Kenyan and Palestine, Kenyan Palestine the uh, Movement, the and the National Students Council, yes, Caucus, and of course other revolutionary organizations who mm -hmm. would want to join. So uh, we are the people who would come together, of course, to form the Pan African Socialist Alliance and to do this event. On, on hands of Haiti. So the event was starting at 3 p.m. This is very unusual because comrades, and especially with Kenyan time, you know, mm. they come at 3, 3.30, they start streaming in. But when we were there at 1 p.m. Wow. to do the preparations for this event, these guys were there, seated, before everybody else seated like they were already seated so we even thought that they were part of the previous event you know and they were just waiting on and as you were playing these revolutionary songs at some point you know they they wanted to join in and sing with us and they were not leaving and even when the event started you know they seemed to be part of the event and for for you to know that it was an in infiltration is that um, number one, these people never showed their intention until the point where the event was a 
at its peak. Mm. And they all left en masse. And I, I asked one of them, I was at the door, and I was like, all right, are you guys leaving? And she's like, no, we're not leaving. We're just going out to wear T-shirts. And I was like, wow, how amazing that people can come to this event. It's not normal mm. <laughs> that comrades would come to an event and, you know, have T-shirts and so organized. And I was like, okay. You know, and they went and those T-shirts, when you look at them from the front, they actually look really progressive. Yes. You know, they're like Africans for Haiti. And that is a that is something that looks very Pan-Africanism. Yeah. And that is why there needs to be such an intersection between Pan-Africanism and anti-Africanism, because yeah. this was anti-Africanism that was <coughs> very, very cloaked and very dressed and very seductive. So you just had to look at the back and it had to be at the back. So without knowing, because I only saw the front and they came in, I was like, oh, wow, Afri this, this is so good. Please sit at the front we want to see you we want to see these t-shirts that say africans for haiti yeah. but it was only at this point that we were able to see that when they were at the front the back of their t-shirts was speaking a different message mm. so the front was to hoodwink us yes to think that they are for this mission but the back was you know saying a different thing but more than that they wanted to even bring anarchy to the event mm. they wanted to speak even uh, at the point where they were not allowed to speak, mm. they were not part of the program. So um, this was an infiltration. Mm. Why? Because of the huge numbers, because of the organization, number two, because of the time that they came. But also when you look at the timing, the high court was just going to give a ruling mm. on the Haiti issue the next day. Yes. So of course, um, this is something that was being put forward to be able to pass their message because I think um, there were very few events of such nature mm. that were happening. But also, I just want to finish by a quote of Mao. And he says that when you see that the enemy is fighting you, then it means that you're doing something good. <laughs> so the fact that these people came to yes. infiltrate that event actually meant that these imperialists were trembling wherever they are. Yes. Just by people being able to put up an event to say hands of Haiti and for them to be able to put up such resources to want to infiltrate it, it means that there was a message that was being passed. And I'm very happy that the enemy was fighting us because it means that we were actually doing something very good. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, I just want to make two points. One is that when they came in, I was moderating the program. One of the, one of the first questions I asked, I said, put your hands up if you know anything about the history of Haiti. Yeah. And none of them put their hands up. None of them said anything that they knew about Haiti. So it was clear to me that they weren't uh, there because they knew why they were there, yeah. the majority of them, let me say that. Uh, I, I think in the second thing, it was quite clear that they could have turned the program in to a program that looked like that we were all for the, the, the peace, because all you need to do is get a chunk. Mm. If, you make a, if they had made a statement, if we had allowed them to make a statement, and uh, they have the T-shirts on, you can cut. You could have cut this uh, the, through, uh, you know, doing uh, some editing, and made it look like we had a successful program in support of 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 uh, this uh, this invasion uh, force. That's that's the that's uh, how I saw it, and that's why I think it, politically it was so important that we kept control of the uh, of our program and that this you know you didn't if you want to put on a program uh go put on your own program you, we're not going to organize a venue and an event for you and and bring people there for you to be the uh, to take it over so i think that, that that's the 
critical thing that we have to recognize that people will, uh, you know, uh, try to turn turn it around, make it seem like it's just like a, it happens all the time in demonstrations. A small group of people will come and be right by the main dem, uh, demonstration. Like we used to see it all the time when we were organizing demonstrations in, 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 in the U.S. You have a million people, 100,000 people, yeah. and then you have a demonstration of, of, of 50 people. And then when you see the news that night, because the, the news is uh, uh, dominated by uh, the, the imperialism, uh, then they'll make it like the 50 people were the, were, were the major demonstration. Yeah. I mean, they will act like the other people were, you know, were, they'll almost ignore the other people that they're, they'll say both sides were there. So this is the kind of uh, thing that we have to be clear on, that the, prop, the people's propaganda yes. is, uh, you know, we have, so, we have few forums. But we know, of course, that uh, just a, uh, an ounce of truth will kill a ton, a ton of lies. Yes. And that's why, but we have to make sure that, each, that we take every second that we can for ourselves to get the correct messages out. So that the people can uh, can discern for themselves, because if we uh, surrender our space and our time to the enemies, they got they have their uh, broadcast and now they've taken ours. <laughs> yeah, so that, I think that that's some that's something. Let me let me come back. I want to I want to add just one thing before yeah. you go to William because it's it's going round from something Sobukwe said, and from these people who are infiltrators, that they did not just infiltrate. They had their own propagandist, I'll call it that. Yes. They had a, ca a guy who had a camera, and the camera was bigger than all the cameras in the room combined. Mm. And that guy, yes, it was... I, I, I'm not so good with cameras, you guys can. But it was really huge, and it had so many... Basically, it was bigger than all the, mm. the cameras that were there. And this guy, even when he came in, first of all, he refused to register when we're doing the registration. And second of all, you know, when I went in to ask him, like, okay, so which organization did you come with? First, At first, he did not even want to um, identify himself with those guys. Then uh. much later, he did identify himself. But even the photos he was taking, um, of course, they were very... Um, they were very prejudiced, like he was taking certain specific photos. And when I went to ask him that, okay, now you need to give us your contact so that whatever images you take from this event, we'll be able to have it. He just left the event unceremoniously. Wow. Um, wow, wow. So that was the amount of infiltration that we wow. had wow. Um, at that event. And as Subuku said, it was good that we did not give them the chance to be able to address it, sure. to address our spaces, you know, to come to our events because they have their own media. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, two points for me. Uh, so firstly, we noticed they were infiltrators because during the time when you get the crowd going with the songs and the chants, mm -hmm. uh, one of the chants from one of your comrades was Ruto Ruto, and then the rest of the crowd said down. Mm -hmm. And I oh, noticed, yes. Oh, yes. I noticed one of the guys, everyone was saying Ruto Ruto. It was Ruto. you, Ahmed, who yeah. took the mic to yeah. this guy. You were like, oh yeah. I took the microphone because I noticed mm -hmm. one of the guys, the whole audience was saying Ruto Ruto down. Yes. And he was just not saying anything. <laughs> so I, I got the microphone and I said, 
Ruta, Ruta, put it in front of him and he said up. up. And then the whole jig was up like, from that point yeah. onwards. Um, but I, I think I owe you guys an apology, if I'm being honest. And I'll tell you why. Um, I always, I, I didn't understand the decision, the decision to be honest. Mm. Um, and sometimes, if you don't understand the decision, it doesn't mean you should argue. You should just be quiet. At a later point, you know, when, when, when there's calm, call up Brother Sabukwe, call up uh, Sister Sefu and say, I didn't quite understand that decision. My mistake was in the heat of the moment, I was saying, let them speak, let them speak, which I, which, which I apologise for, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, I was there as a guest. I wasn't one of the, one of the organisers, and I shouldn't have done that. But my <laughs> thinking behind it at the time, not to, not to justify, just to explain, was I know these people do not have a leg to stand on. Mm-hmm. And when we don't allow them room to speak, those that don't understand the strategy that you just uh, explained think that we're scared of their argument. And there's no way you could bring a hundred of these guys in front of us and we'll intellectually destroy them um, on, on, on the, the, the topic of the so-called peace mission, which we call the invasion. So, so, yeah, so, 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 so I misunderstood uh, why we weren't allowing them to speak. And now I understand and that won't happen again. Even if I don't understand in the heat of the moment, I'll, I'll be quiet. Ahmed, uh, I'll just say this. There are two trajectories. There are two trajectories. One, there's the trajectory of, journalist, of yes. journalism. Yes. So there's the journalistic yes. uh, trajectory. Two, there's the political one. Yes. Now, in that event and in that room, it was political. Yeah. There was no room. There was no way they were going to speak. Yeah. You wanting them to speak, like they did outside as a journalist, yeah. that is fine as African stream. And as a journalist, of course, you can take these two sides and be able to put them against each other. So mm. on a journalistic view and, you know, away from this event to get that perspective and bash it, that is okay. But on a political standpoint, for example, like now that one where we are in in the room, sure. then we cannot give them a voice. So yes. even for me is for us to have that middle ground that, yes, on a political standpoint in that room, it's a definite no, it can never yes. happen. It will never happen, you yes. know, outside there on a journalistic you know, point of view, but only for us to be able to get our bias through <laughs> our own propaganda, yeah. then we can do it. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. But I think that because I already had seen, okay, African Stream has an has an opportunity afterwards. Yes. Because they can, but then that gives also, like it's it's the political control. Mm. Your or from when I say the political control in your sense, mm. from your journalistic point of view, yeah. because you know as we've had many conversations. Uh, all journalism has a point of view. Mm. We know that the journalism, the uh, the imperialist journalism, and even the corporate journalism has a point of view. That's why they have commercials. That's why they. <laughs> that's why they see the world through the advancement of, of capitalism and their and their agenda. So even when they're telling a story, they tell a story from their point of view. And even like uh, you explained, they brought the, the uh, infiltrators also brought their people yeah. to get their, to, to be able to box their point of view. So we know that, uh, yeah, we, we can't relinquish political control. And even in, in your thing, I'm sure when you're thinking about how to present your, your perspective, and from the point of view of African Stream, because African Stream is called African Stream for a, a, a particular reason. It has its own uh, uh, 
lens. It has its lens that it, it looks through, and that's it's important. It's important to, to maintain it. And I and I know that you can box it, and you can use your lens when you take the footage for yourselves. But if yeah, but uh, when when it, we're in that space, it, it it we have to try to control the the. Uh, yes, yes. We've got we've we've got one more video to play. Okay. Um, I hate the fact that I'm going to quote this guy at the moment, uh, especially when we're talking about Haiti but he's the only person that I know that said this thing, and it's quite a good quote. I think it was Napoleon that said, when your enemy's making a mistake, don't interrupt them. And, I, um, <laughs> and one thing that I've noticed with, with these types of groups, when you let them speak, it's the most powerful propaganda that we have in our arms. We, uh, someone inboxed me before, some, a comrade of mine, and they're like, why have you posted, is his name Michael Rappator? This, this Zionist actor, but the Zionist actor, in what he was saying, was so nonsensical, it was greater than any of the speeches that me and William could do. So sometimes you gotta just let, I understand in, in your event, sometimes you gotta let these idiots expose themselves, and I've got the most perfect on example. On a journalistic point. On a journalistic point. Yeah, that's the, yeah, on a journalistic I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, I'm just saying, sometimes you gotta let these idiots expose themselves. And this is potentially the greatest example I've ever caught off camera of precisely that William press press play. Turn the volume. How you doing? You good? I'm doing fine. Good, I, good. Was saying, I was saying something to you. You trying to say something? Yeah, yeah. I just tried to speak okay. to your comrades outside. Just you. Just me. Go for it. Go for it. I'm, I'm doing a live. Oh, do you want me to finish the live and then we can speak? Okay, go for it. What do you want to say? What do you want to say? I want to thank the organization. Okay. Yeah. But I want to talk to yeah. Africans who are like, just like us who want peace. It's like everywhere in Africa we are speaking different languages. So we should first of all appreciate even our colonial masters for bringing us a language. Appreciate the colonial masters? Yes. For, bringing, for giving us a language. We should appreciate the colonial That's the message you want to give yeah, to the yeah, African yeah, audience? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So because they He decided to speak to me. Uh, yeah, go for it. Language okay. That we can speak and understand with each other. Okay. Okay. For that sort of only, we appreciate you guys and we say thank you. Yeah. Because you say thank you to the colonial masters. Yes. For okay. Giving us the language, we can speak and understand all of Africans that can understand, which is English. Thank you for that. That's the that's the one message you want to give. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Just end it there. <laughs> oh my god. That's, oh my god. Oh my god. So 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 um. It's like anyway, so we posted this clip, part of this clip, on African Stream. No one was confused. Everyone understood what this organisation was, who potentially sent this organisation, and understood this is what counter revolutionary looks like. Um. So we've been going on for a long time. William, I know you've been wanting to speak for a long time. Mine is just a question. Yeah. Previous organizations, Sefu, we've seen various, various demonstrations being violently broken up by the Kenyan police. So why this particular approach regarding the hands of Haiti? Why didn't, you know, cops just come and tear gas the event and mm. instead chose these NGO issues of the high calls for whatever their agenda was? 
Um, number one, of course, one, this was not a protest. So they couldn't come in and, you know, say that we were looting property or we were doing anything illegal. We used a very straightforward channel. So even if they were to come in, I mean, this was a very peaceful event. People were uh, having discussions, you know, and there was a moderator. It was very well planned, more or less. So they would have no excuse, you know, for them to, to come in. And if they did, I mean, this would be a gross, gross, gross violation. You know, for protesters, they come up with many things. They'll say, okay, um, you know, you were, you know, speaking in public, so you caused disturbance to the people. They'll say there was looting of property, very many other things. They would say the police was not uh, informed of this, of this event. And even if they were, you know, they, they come up with things because it's something that is being done outside and for whatever purpose. But one, this was an event that was being done um, in an inside environment. It was cool. It's just like us having a conversation here, really. I mean, it would be absurd for the police to come. They would have no, absolutely no claims. That is number one. Uh, number two, of course, uh, we saw about the issue of the high court that was going to take place the next day. So they needed to, which I'm happy we did not allow them to speak because they would have taken that propaganda and said, oi, we had these events. Look at the amount of people who are in support of, you know, of the peacekeeping mission and look at what the courts are going to say. So the biggest part of the infiltration was because of that, uh, of that court ruling. But number three, it was to disorganize us. So I was telling the people, you know, uh, in the beginning who wanted to remove move these people violently, that that would have just been a cause for the whole event not to take place. The reason why these people were coming there in the first place was to ensure that this event does not take place, that the voices that are speaking for Haiti are not heard. And they were going to do it in any manner. They were going to do it through violence. They were going to do it through, of course, people getting angry and throwing them out. If that happened, the event would have been over and we would not have achieved our agenda. So that did not happen. And you saw that at, the, um, at some point, all these people walked out of that event what does that mean they were defeated mm. you know they were defeat all of them walked out in an uproar so the the point was for them to stall the event for them to ensure that the voices are not heard the agenda that uh, we had planned on you know uh, speaking about haiti does not happen that was the infiltration of the event and because we did not allow it to happen and you know we continued with what we were doing we did not give them a space to speak and we outrightly just let them know what the event was about but another thing was also for them to ensure that we do not get such an event later. So if this event had been um, infiltrated violently, then the next time we go to get you know, this the venue, venue, they would say yeah. no. Because even at the end of the event, they were asking. So these are the, um, the, the people of the venue, and I will not mention it, but they asked us, like, how, how were you able to book this venue? Mm -hmm. You know, so that means, of course, now there's already a, a discourse or something mm -hmm. that is going on. So you can imagine if this would have turned out to be violent, the next time they would say no. Yeah. You know, it would be a reason for them to say we cannot have, you know, such people here. So I think okay. that was the reason for this infiltration. Okay. Um, we're running out of time. So I'm going to give Brother Subukwe the final word. Just one point, one final point for me is uh, after the event kind of finished, me and William went outside and um, there was these organisers from these, you know, people in the t-shirts. And we asked them one more time on, on the Instagram live, does anyone want to say anything? And none of them could, because their one spokesperson was in the distance, <laughs> was already gone. Um, but what we did do, we said on the live, just to prove the point, I'm going to ask any random person that's at the hands of Haiti event, 
So I went up to a random guy and I said, listen, I'm just trying to prove a point that someone from the Hands Off 80 event can explain why they're here. The guy gave the most amazing... For, yeah, yeah, no. So he gave the most amazing speech about hands off Haiti and why Kenyans shouldn't be used as a black face of imperialism and all this type of stuff. And then someone else on the side goes, can I speak next? And then someone else. So we ended up having four people speak back to back spontaneously from the event of the attendees at the hands off Haiti versus one spokesperson who um, the only one spokesperson and then this idiot that wants to thank the colonial masters. So that, to me, says everything about, you know, the the, the, the two sides of the argument. Um, just one final point for me, that I'll give it to Bukwe. In the film Godfather, I think it's part one or part two, they go to Miami, they go to Cuba, and uh, Al... Uh, uh, what's his name now? The, the actor... Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Um, he sees a Cuban revolutionary blow himself up and take out a Cuban, uh, a one of Baptista's soldiers. And he goes, I'm out. I don't want to invest in this casino. And he goes, why you don't want to invest in this casino? He goes, the soldier fights for money. The revolutionary fights because he believes in the cause. Yeah. And um, of course, no one was fighting. But that was a microcosm of what we saw. People are speaking because they, they're passionate about the cause. And the other people were there because they've been paid. But anyway, Brother Subukwe, we've gone on for a lot longer than we were, where we were supposed to. Any final thoughts to wrap us up? No, I, I think it's, uh, it's important, uh, I think, uh, to understand and to think about Haiti beyond this point, mm. even beyond this, uh, this, this, this tragedy of, of calling for another invasion force. Because, uh, as you know, the imperialists will not uh, give up. So we can't give up, and we can't see this as just a, a, a niche in time. But we have to look at it as just like we, when we look at the question of, of genocides across the world. When we look at the, the uh, genocidal uh, uh, relationship that uh, Israel and the Zionist state of Israel has to, the, to Palestine, we see this upsurge, and all of us are certainly concerned about the, uh, the genocidal nature that we see at, at speed it up uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a hurried fashion, in the hundreds, hundreds to 200 people a day being killed. Um, I think uh, we have to also look at and understand the history of, of, of the settler colonial reality in, in the uh, West, in the Americas, and in, around the world, really, but in the Americas in particular, because that's where Haiti is located. There's a, uh, there's, you know, the, the whole Haitian island of indigenous people, some called Red Indians, were completely genocided. They were completely knocked off by this process. And, and we must know that those who have resisted them can, the Africans, the Africans who came to, you know, the Africans, when they liberated, they could have changed the name. But it's their affinity and their understanding and sympathy and empathy with the indigenous people who had been wiped out on the island. They kept the name Aieti. So this is a, we have to be quite clear. There was raised earlier these questions of all these resources in Haiti, around Haiti, the oil that's uh, surrounding the island that they want, the offshore drilling that they want to do, the iridium, the, all these things. 
they are capable, and I'm talking about the imperialist countries, the West, the NATOs, are capable of committing another genocide. They've all, it's already a slow genocide on the, uh, going on in Haiti, but the resistance has been too much. Just like the resistance uh, against settler colonialism in Africa, they weren't able to, to, uh, to finish what they wanted, what they started. But doesn't mean that they've forgotten, doesn't mean that they are not uh, trying to find new strategies on how to do it. So I think we have to, again, look at Haiti within the, with a, continue to look at it as, with a pan-African lens and continue to see it as an ongoing struggle that we have to continue to support. And I'll leave it there. Perfect. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to the audience. It's been a long podcast, but hopefully it was informative. Hopefully it was enjoyable. You learned something. And thank you. Thank you. Uh, again, we can, never th we can never thank African Stream on enough. Thank you. Thank you. So, as we always wrap up, I've been Ahmed Kibala. Until next time, peace. peace.